Heavenly Father, we're grateful for once again we can come together as your people on this day of the week and hear from you, from your word, how we might be your people and be a blessing to this world you've called us to live in. And it is by no mistake we're here today. And I ask, Lord, as this word is brought forth this day, you would take our minds and think through them, take my lips and speak through them, that you truly would take our wills and bend them to your own and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. It was December 25th, 1970. I came down and my dream had come true. Santa came through. It was amazing. Because they're packed in a beautiful, brand new, fresh from Toys R Us. Hasbro box was Captain G.I. Joe Sherman. (laughs) He was captain. I get, you know, the the direction said he was a sergeant. Uh Uh-uh. These are my rules. He's my man. He's captain. And I'm major. He does what I tell him to do. And he was from the 82nd Airborne. I had three outfits for him. I, I hit the jackpot. I had, he was 82nd Airborne, so he had a World War II paratrooper. He was also a Green Beret. And as you can see, his last and final mission was Apollo 4 Joe. And it didn't go very well. Because Joe went out on an Apollo 4 mission with, his, with the other two astronauts, with his hound dog, space dog, Duke. And they got attacked by moon monsters. And he lost his helmet. Lost his boots. He's got huge feet. <laughs> and his thumbs are wrong. His hands are on the wrong hands. The, manuf- the manufacturer, and this was made in America, man. This is when they made in China. His, his hands should be over here. But I didn't care. I loved him anyway. And I slept with Joe. I loved Joe. We sat many a cold night pretending we were out in Bastogne eating out of my mom served me dinner one on my birthday that year I got to eat corned beef served on my army kit on my bed with Joe as we pretend we were praying that this German offensive wouldn't get to us and we prayed for supplies to come I had an active imagination you know and he slept with me. He kept guard over me. We listened to many ball games together. But one day, after the Apollo 4 mission had failed, I put him up on the shelf. And he just became a figurehead of my childhood. I lost Duke, the space dog. I wish I still had him, because he was a bloodhound with a space helmet I put on him, crammed onto his head from another toy somewhere. But that happens to us, right? We grow up, we move beyond it, and the reality is I had to enter the real world. Well, we're in this series entitled Worshiping in Spirit and Truth, and last week we looked at what is worship, and we're turning the diamond today and looking to why we worship, or as I said in the introduction, why should we? And why should we worship Jesus Christ? And we learned last week from the Greek word prokunio, which is mentioned ten times in this passage, that we worship all the time. And 
Our English word worship comes from the Middle English worship, that which we give worth to. And we learned last week that we worship God, not just assigning Him high value, but we worship giving Him ultimate value. And we learned from Isaiah through Stephen and through Thomas Cranmer that when you truly worship God, you admire Him and the love that He has for you. You examine the implications of the value of whatever object you worship for your life. You change your behavior towards the object of worship. And you invest in growing in that relationship with that object of worship. And we learned if we assign Jesus high value, it changes everything, doesn't it? And we use the image of a piece of jewelry that your grandmother gave you. You had no clue how valuable it was, and you stuck it in your drawer for years until your jeweler friend pulled it out. You pulled it out for him to see, and he told you that it's worth millions. And so we discovered true worship is worshiping Jesus Christ. Well, now why? Because he's dealing with the woman at the well. So I encourage you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 4, and if you're visiting with us, you'll see it in the back of your bulletin. I love this, this encounter. Remember, Jesus loved the moral and the immoral equally. There was no, everybody was on the same plane with Jesus Christ. So he goes to this village in Samaria in the middle of the day and he meets her. Why do you think she's there in the middle of the day? Well, because she's in that immoral camp. As you learn later, he already knows. She's living with the dude and she's had five husbands prior. So she's scandalous in this community and she doesn't want the hassle of dealing with all the moral women of town who obviously make fun of her, degrade her. So she's willing to come out in the middle of the day because all the other women would come early in the morning and draw their water out of the well. And he makes this interesting statement to her saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's engaging her in conversation. And she's wondering why this Jewish man is speaking to her anyway, because there's a great hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews anyway. And so she is there, and he gets down to the point where he calls her out for who she is. Go call your husband. I don't have a husband. You go, that's right. You've had five, and the dude you're living with now isn't your husband. And what does she do? Yeah, you're right. No, she changes the subject, right? Just like we would, right? When Jesus called out our sin, we changed the subject too. And so she changed the subject to worship, of all things. We Samaritans say you should worship on this mountain, but you say you should worship on Mount Zion, which is right, which is the right location. And Jesus says this fascinating phrase in verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Now think about that. Why is it that God seeks us to worship Him? God presses us, urges us, demands that we worship Him. People are bothered by that. 
Doesn't that kind of bother you? I mean, what kind of God do we worship that is so arrogant that he demands our worship of him? You know, you don't want to be around people like that, right? You would never be hanging around anybody who says, worship me, praise me, right? Yet, Jesus says he seeks you to worship him. He comes after you. He urges you. Here's why. But before we answer that, I've got a question for you. Who are the most mean-spirited, unpleasant, angry, crusty people that you don't want to be around? What are they like? What's a characteristic of them? They don't praise anything. They're bored with life. They're disinterested in life. One little thing ruins everything. One thing about the day and the day is ruined. One little scene about the movie and the whole movie is ruined. One thing about they don't like about you and the relationship is ruined. There are people who don't praise anything. And nobody wants to be around them. Now look at the people you like most to be around. What's a characteristic of them? They praise a lot of things, don't they? They overlook flaws and they, they find something positive in others. They praise the book that they're reading, the song they just heard. Hey, you got to listen to this. They praise you. They praise the movie they just watched. They praise the weather. If you've ever met someone who obviously has never known real friendship, never known real love, never read a really good book, you know their lives are handicapped. They're not better for it. They've lost some of their humanity. That is just a shadow of the deepest crippling and the greatest inhumanity that comes when you are not able to behold the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and all he's done for you. The praise of God is the praise that unhooks all other kinds of praise in our lives. It's when you become someone who praises God that you truly find yourself. And you being able to praise everything else. For God knows the people who love him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, are able to find the world a beautiful place despite the circumstances, despite the mess that it's in. Who find something to praise and sing about and they become completely transformed by this relationship with Jesus Christ. And they, like Isaiah, like Stephen in Acts, like Thomas Cranmer, are able to praise. And you know, I know when people think about those guys, you see those paintings of Thomas Cranmer, he's not smiling. You, you think, those religious people, you don't want to be around those kind of people, Right? They're just talking about Jesus all day long. All they do is use religious speech all day long. They're miserable. You don't want to be around those type of people. There was a picture at St. Paul's Bennisville when I was the youth minister there from the most beloved pastor. He was there for 30 years at St. Paul's Church. And all the pictures of him, he just didn't look like this. His name was O.T. Porsche, the Reverend Dr. O.T. Porsche, Octavius Theodore Porsche. He walked that community through the Depression. 
He arrived there in 1925 and left in 1955. And he loved those people. He was a Greek scholar. He could read New Testament Greek like we read English. And he saw the boys of Bennettsville who were in utter poverty like the whole nation was during the Depression. And he said, these guys are bored and they're getting into trouble. We need to do something. So he started the Boy Scouts. And he was the scoutmaster. I saw pictures of him with all these boys in a scoutmaster outfit. Looked goofy, but awesome because he has 100 boys in Dr. Porsche. And the people who knew him told me he was the most joyful, happy, loved to be around. Everywhere he went around town, he had all these boys following him. But you wouldn't know it if you saw his picture. You wouldn't know it that his wife was mentally ill and was an embarrassment to the entire church. People would not come to St. Paul's because she was crazy. But he took care of her because he made a promise to God. And he loved her till his dying and her dying day. What a man! No! We want to be around people like this who worship God. He would stop in the middle of the service and say, you're not singing. Let's sing it again. And they'd fire up the organ. He'd go, pull out the stops. Boom, old Bessie would pull out the stops. And he'd make the congregation sing it again because he didn't get it right the first time. No. This is the testimony of a person you wanted to be around because his ability to give God worth. And he treated others with great value. We want to be around people like that. You ever had that one teacher who just drew out the best in you because you felt so valued? That's just a hint of how loved you are in Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing is, this: I think on this side of eternity, we're only able to give God such a small portion of the praise that's due him when you really think about it. Lewis said it like this, if you want to see what worship really is like when we get before him, Suppose ourselves to be in perfect love with God, drunk with, drowned in, dissolved by that delight which far from remaining pent up within flows out from us incessantly again in effortless and perfect expression. Our joy is no more separable from the praise in which it liberates and utters itself than the brightness a mirror receives is separable from the brightness it sheds. That's who we will be. Now do you see why the Father seeks such people to worship him? Not because he needs it, but because you need it. I need it. To worship is to wake up into the real world, ladies and gentlemen. To worship is to grow up so you're no longer an eight-year-old holding on to his G.I. Joe. To worship is to get up from eating the scraps off the spiritual floor gnawing on the bone of the circumstances you find yourself in and to sit at the banquet table with Jesus Christ. To not worship him is to become less human because the people who can't praise lose their humanity, lose their warmth, and lose their great potential in him. And that is not to say there are not nice non-believers. There are. But they're not as fully human as they could be. Not as fully great as they could be. Not as warm as they could be. 
And the reason you have to worship God is this is how we become fully human. Are you listening? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. So ladies and gentlemen, we all worship something. We learned that last week. We just do. We're fixed upon something. We're fixed on our wealth, our affluence, our bank accounts, our, our children, their sports, their, all their activities, our, our sports teams. The Browns won. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> our families, our children, we all look at something as our wealth and we look at something, we gaze at something, something we admire. Now I admit there's some things better than others. It's much better to make wealth be your family than wealth be your bank account. But ultimately, can any of those things liberate you? Even your family, if you worship your family and your children, if that is your wealth, is that the most worthy thing in your life? Do they turn you into a praising person? Do they completely free you from fear and anxiety? Do they enlarge your heart? No, I'll tell you what you do. You worry about them. You have fear. You're anxious about them. They drive you. So what is Jesus saying? The Father seeks you to worship Him so you might be fully who you are created to be in Him. And He's saying, recognize me for who I am. The real, true, crucified, risen, ascended Lord. And by receiving Him, you're transformed by Him and thus serve Him to His glory is where you will be most fully human. Get off of the floor. You're eating scraps. Stop gnawing on the bone of your circumstances. Put away your Barbies or your G.I. Joes. Come to the table. Worship and praise Jesus with us. That's what we're aiming to do each and every week as we gather together. It's not just come and check the box off of going to church. It's not get me through this book of common prayer service and give me the bread so I can go and really enjoy Sunday the way I want to. We gather and worship and praise Jesus so that we can meet him and encourage one another in this truth and serve one another and others as God gives us opportunities to do so throughout this day and the week to come. So when you think of gathering together in worship, what is worship and why we worship, I want us to think of this as we gather together. For worship is not, as Ronald Allen says, the author, not the casual chatter that drowns out the prelude. We celebrate Jesus when we allow the prelude to tune our hearts to the glory of God by means of the music. Worship is not the mumbling of some prayers or the mouthing of some hymns with little thought and less heart. We celebrate Jesus when we join together earnestly in prayer and intensely in song. Worship is not self-aggrandizing words or boring cliches when someone gives a testimony. We celebrate Jesus when all the parts of the service fit together and work for the common good. 
Worship is not begrudging gifts or compulsory service. We celebrate God when we give to Him hilariously and when we serve Him with integrity. Worship is not haphazard music done poorly, nor even great music done merely as a performance. We celebrate Jesus when we enjoy and participate in music to His glory. Worship is not a distracted enduring the sermon. We celebrate God as we hear His word gladly and seek to be conformed by it more and more to the image of our Savior. And finally, worship is not the hurried motions of a tacked-on communion. We celebrate the, Jesus preeminently when we fellowship gratefully at the spiritual meal that speaks so centrally of our faith in Him who died for us and rose again on our behalf and who is to return for our good. As a thoughtful gift is a celebration as a birthday, as a special evening out is a celebration of an anniversary, as a sexual embrace is a celebration of a marriage, so a worship service is a celebration of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, He doesn't need our worship. We need to worship Him, for it's there where we'll find ourselves who we are most fully created to be in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. And it's His name we pray. Amen. So now let us stand and confess our faith.